Good morning. How are you doing? Awesome. Well, my name's Chad. I'm the lead pastor over at Missouri City. But here today with you and pumped to be here. I do want to start. I want to shout out. First, Patrick always shouts out his mom. I think that's so cool. Can I do that? Is that okay? I probably shouldn't have asked. But I'm going to do it anyway. Mom, hi. She's watching from Portland, Oregon. So let's give her a hand, man. She better be watching, or that was totally for nothing. But uh, no, I do want to shout out the Missouri City campus. I miss you guys. I'll be back next week. But if you're visiting there, be sure to go and say hi to T. He'll be out in the lobby. He'd love to meet you, get you connected. Be sure you fill out a welcome card so that I can check in with you this week. And also, don't forget, we start our small group this Wednesday, my first small group. So come join us. It's going to be exciting. I also want to shout out our West End campus I got to be there on Thursday to do the Thursday night service. If you have not checked it out, you've got to go. They do this incredible service in the coffee house. I had a great time. And that service was actually really special to me because when I was considering the transition to come over to River Point West End Church, I couldn't get away on a Sunday. It was kind of hard being out of church. So I snuck in on a Thursday night with a buddy of mine. We just kind of sat in the back and we scoped it out. And here I am. So it went well. So I'm excited. It was a really great privilege to be there. And so if you're visiting there, be sure you meet Abe. He just got back from Columbia on a mission trip, so we're glad to have him back. But he'll take good care of you, maybe even buy you a cup of coffee. And then finally, Richmond. You always get the last shout-out. I apologize for that. But, man, I am excited to be here. So when I came on staff, which was just about three months ago, uh, I spent the first two here with you guys doing host moments and things like that. So it's a real treat to get up here and to just be able to present. And my hope today, wherever you're watching, is that this message will be helpful for you. That's my hope. That's my goal. So we're in this series on temptation. The first question you're going to ask, what is temptation? That's a great question to ask. Here it is. Temptation is the desire to do something, especially something that is wrong or unwise. And right off the bat, we see something interesting, wrong or unwise. Go back for just a sec. Wrong or unwise. So it's possible that some things in life that we do are wrong, and because they're wrong, it also makes them unwise. But it's also possible that something could be not necessarily wrong, but still unwise. An example might be, maybe last night you were out. I don't know. What were you doing last night? Maybe somebody went country dancing last night. Single person, went out on the country dance. I don't know why you would do that, by the way. But anyways, you're out there, and you're just boot scooting, boogieing like that, and you're just spinning. And then you meet this guy. Ladies, you met this guy, and he was just spinning you all over the dance floor, and you were just like, this is amazing. And then you get home, and this morning you woke up, and you thought, man, if that guy can dance like that, I bet you he can dance through life. I bet you marriage will be like a dancing love song. I'm going to marry that guy. And so today you're planning to get on a plane to head to Vegas to marry him. And I just want to tell you that that's not wrong anywhere that I can find officially, but I'm just going to tell you it's really unwise. So wait till at least tomorrow, okay? And then maybe we can figure it out. So some temptation is a desire to do something that is either unwise or that is wrong. Now, when I think about our life, I think about my life, there are things that I do that I don't want to do. And then there are things that I willingly do, even though I know I shouldn't. Now, the first one, things I do but I don't want to do, I kind of picture maybe this is you. 
It's a cool morning, so not right now. You hop in the car, you're headed into work, you're on time, maybe even early. So you're feeling good. You've got Taylor Swift playing in the radio or whatever you listen to. And you're just cruising down the highway, maybe got the windows cracked just a little bit, and you're just having a great time. And then there's this guy, it's always a guy, it's never a girl, this guy that just thinks his schedule, his life, his is more important than you, and he just cuts you off. Right, and in that moment, you go, man, I didn't want to be mad. I was having a great morning, but let me tell you right now, okay, I am all kind of worked up. And so in that moment, you get to decide what you're going to do. You could just let it go, or you could start saying things that you wouldn't say had the kids not just been dropped off in the carpool lane. You're sticking limbs up in the air, you get what I'm saying, that shouldn't be stuck up in the air, and you're just losing it because this guy thought his day was more important than you. This is an example of things that we do we don't really want to do, but then we kind of get in the moment and we just let loose. But there's other things that we willingly do even though we know we shouldn't. And to go back to driving, for those of you that drove here, if you're at West End, I think you walked, but everyone else, if you drove here, I can guarantee you 99.9% .9 of you sped and didn't think a thing about it. Oh, gotcha. And, and the truth is, if you were going the speed limit or slower, something's probably wrong. Speeding is just a normal MO as we are out on the go in this crazy world that we live in. And how do we know it's wrong? Because if a police officer pulled up behind you, you absolutely are going to slow down. So don't try to tell me it's not wrong. Don't try to tell me it's normal. So there are things we do. We we don't want to do, but we do, and then there are things we willingly do that we don't. By the way, side note, I went to Vegas. It's a great way to start a temptation series. I went to Vegas with Patrick, an even better way to start a temptation series. And I guess that was how you get new pastors prepared. You take them to Vegas to see how they handle temptation. No, I'm just kidding. But what we did is we went to, we went to Vegas for a couple days, and we were getting content, actually, for this series. You'll see that over the next couple weeks. But while we were there, somebody decided that Patrick should be the chauffeur of our little group. And I got to tell you, Patrick is a great pastor. He's a great leader. He's a great friend. At least for three months he's been a great friend. But I got to tell you, he is a terrible driver. <laughs> Absolutely terrible. And you may think, oh, he's not here, so you're saying, no, no, no. I hope he's watching because I need him to hear this. He's a terrible driver. I'm telling you, we were in the car, and I'm holding on to the side thinking, what is wrong with this guy? This guy's a pastor? What in the world? There were moments where I thought, does he realize this is a van, not a bumper car? I mean, he's about to just stick the nose of the... It was, it was terrible. So, Dean, I think we should just revoke his RPC sticker off his truck until further notice, which should be never. Anyways, I digress. The point is, there are things that just happen. Man, we're constantly fighting temptation. So then the next question becomes, where does it come from? Where does temptation come from? I think there's two places. First, it's the evil desires within us. I don't know, evil desires sound kind of strong and kind of scary, but we all get this. When you were born, or if you have kids, no one had to teach you how to do the wrong thing. You had to be taught how to do the right thing. There's a natural inclination in us that just moves us toward things that are wrong, moves us toward things that are evil. But the second part is from Satan, our enemy, our adversary, who desires to take all of those evil things in you and to draw them out into action. This is his goal. 1 Peter 5.8 says this, stay alert 
Watch out for your great enemy, the devil, Lucifer, Satan. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Now, if we're going to stay alert, what we're going to have to do is the only way for us to stay alert is to know how the enemy works. And so what we're going to do today is look at a three-step strategy that Satan tries to implement in our life, and we're going to look at it in a context of the Bible. Now, two weeks ago, Ryan Leak was here, and he gave a great message on an encounter that Jesus had with Satan in the wilderness. Today, we're going to look at a second encounter, but this one is between Satan and Eve in the Garden of Eden. So Genesis chapter 3 is where we're going to be. Now, to set this up a little bit, you need to know that in Genesis 1, we learned that God created the heavens, the earth, and everything in between. But then in Genesis 2, we see the creation narrative kind of wraps up, and rest is instituted. But right after that, there's a deeper look, a more descriptive look into the creation of man. And in this part of Scripture, okay, in this part of the Bible, there is this specific moment that's crucial to what we're going to talk about today. Adam and God are in the Garden of Eden. And God looks at Adam and says, you can eat of any fruit of any tree in this entire garden. But there's one tree in the middle. You, mister, right there. I'm just kidding. There's one tree in the middle. That tree is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And of that tree, you cannot eat it because if you do, you will die. Now, that moment is going to dictate what happens the rest of the way. One other element in there to understand is Eve has not been brought into the picture yet. It's just Adam and God. And so with that, let's jump in to chapter 3, verse 1. Let's start here. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast that the Lord God had made. Any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Now, first thing we'll notice, the serpent. Now, it doesn't directly say that this is Satan, but we learn later on in the Bible that this is very clearly an interaction between Satan and Eve. And then comes the question, where does this guy come from anyway? Where does Satan come from? Who is this person? Where, what is this all about? And we learn actually in Ezekiel 28 that Satan was named Lucifer, and he was actually an angel in heaven. He was an angel in God's presence. In fact, he was a high-ranking angel. He was even considered, for lack of a better word, a worship leader. I always got to watch out for those guys. You just never know. <laughs> but then in Isaiah 14, we learn that Lucifer wanted to be God. He wanted control of everything. And so God rightfully took him and all the angels that chose to follow him, about a third of them, and he threw them out of heaven. And this is how Satan kind of comes on the scene. And so now we see the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. Now he was crafty because he had overtaken the form of a serpent. The animal was probably in itself innocent enough, but when Satan overtook its form, all of a sudden it became crafty, it became cunning, it was deceitful. It says, of any other beast of the field, that the Lord God had made. Now, this is small, but it's significant at the same time. There's two names here side by side, Lord God. And all throughout Genesis 1 and Genesis chapter 2, we see Lord God, Lord God, the Lord God made, the Lord God said, and the Lord God, fill in the blank. What this means 
There's actually two different names of God with two different meanings that are put together to give us a very descriptive element of God. The first word, Lord, is the Hebrew word Yahweh, which means relational or close or intimate God, that he's present, walking with us, walking with them in the garden. The second word, God, or the second name, is the Hebrew word Elohim, which means creator God, powerful God. And so you put these two names together to give us a fuller description of God. Now, to understand them better, I could put it in our terms, would be the difference between dad and father. Any man can be a dad. Have a kid. You're a dad. But a father is someone that walks with their kid, that's close to their kids, intimate with their kid, relational with their kid. And this is the picture we have of God. This God is not a pie-in-the-sky dream. This is a God that's ever-powerful and all-creative, yet chooses to walk with man. Let's look at the next verse. And he, the serpent, said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, if you are a normal human being, the fact that a serpent is talking to you is problematic. Am I the only one thinking this? Some of you are like, this is why I don't go to church, man. This is messed up. There's a snake and he's talking to a woman. This is so weird. I'm with you. I don't wake up in the morning, roll out of bed and go, oh, hey, rattlesnake, you look so good. Oh, you're about six feet, scales. I don't, no, no, no. That's very problematic for me. In fact, this is interesting. This is very interesting. Next weekend, my wife and I, we're so excited. My wife, my family, and I, we are moving into our new home. We're so excited. We're moving to a place called Siena, which is found in Missouri City. Man, we're so excited. And we've been telling the folks at our campus all about this, and they've been encouraging us. And uh, somebody came up and said, hey, man, I got a great tip for you. Get on Facebook and go look for the Siena group, and you can learn all about the community. Now, what he didn't tell me is that it's a bunch of negative stuff, but there are a few helpful things. It's mostly negative. It's a side note. I digress. So I get on Facebook, and I type it in, and I'm searching through, and I see a couple groups pop up, and something caught my eye. There was a group, and the name was called Snakes of Siena. <laughs> and now, in my mind, and maybe you thought the same thing, in my mind, I think, wow, these guys must have really screwed up to get on this little hit list, all right? What did you have to do to become a snake of Siena? And then I'm thinking, I should probably click on this because I don't want to be a snake. I mean, what if the Missouri City Lead Pastor becomes a snake of Siena? That would not be good for business. So I click on it. And do you know what I found? Not a bunch of mugshots. Oh, no. Hundreds of pictures of snakes. Because apparently in Siena, snakes live in your living room, your backyard, your garage, your kitchen, your toilet, anywhere you can think of. And this is normal. And I'm looking at this going, this is a real problem because we already closed. I can't get out of this. And then it hit me. Oh, we're good. Because a group as descriptive as this, and they were very descriptive, they must have a few posts on how to kill a snake. Because I'm thinking shovel, shotgun, either one, I'm good, because snakes and cats, only thing God might have possibly got wrong. I mean, so I'm, I, that was just, just so sorry. That was, I should have waited till my second message to go there. I apologize. But I'm thinking there's got to be some information here. And it turns out, do you know how you get your mug shot on the snakes of Siena? Yeah, you kill a snake. Because apparently in Siena, we don't kill snakes. We relocate them. 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, let me just tell you right now, market. I'm having to cut the feed to Missouri City for just a second. Cause I'm just gonna tell you, if a snake rolls up in my yard, he gone. He's dying or I'm dying. Somebody's dying on that day. It ain't happening. And this is what Eve should have done. I digress. So here is Satan having this conversation with the woman. She is, man, I mean, just poor thing. Look, she's, she's the person he went after. And we don't see anything about Adam. Eve is the target that Satan's gone after. We don't know all the reasons why. Most likely, it looks like Adam, we'll hear about Adam's location in a minute, but right now, it looks like Adam's just not there, right? Two are better than one, man. You get isolated, we get separated. Maybe she just became the victim because she was alone. Or maybe, if you remember Genesis 2, remember, God gave that instruction to Adam, but not to Eve. So maybe Adam didn't clearly articulate what God said to her, or maybe he just forgot. Whatever the reason is, Eve is our victim here. And then look what, look what Satan says. Did God actually say did God actually say did anybody catch it what's missing oh look at this did God actually say see Satan drops off Lord what's he doing he's dropping off the closeness the personal the relationalness of God because if he can separate God out of the picture she's more likely to mess up we do the same thing we get this idea sometimes that, that God's like pie in the sky up here over there and not with us because we closed the door or had a thought in our head and not out loud and we think that he can't see it. But listen, you read your Bible, you're going to learn that when you accept Christ, you're accepting him into you. He's now a part of your life in every way. 1 Corinthians 3.16, we're a temple of God. And so it's not a pie in the sky deal, but when we think that God can't see or God doesn't know, we're more likely to sin. We're more likely to make mistakes. And this is exactly what Satan wants to do. Let's separate the closeness of God and maybe she'll be more vulnerable. Which leads to our first strategy of Satan. I'm going to give you three today. Strategy number one, Satan wants to create doubt in your life and in mine. Create doubt. Look at the wording again. Did God actually say? Think about it. Did, imagine him. I don't have the Satan voice. Thank the Lord. I don't think I do. Imagine he's just, Eve, did, did God actually say you can't eat anything? I mean, did he really say that? Did he really mean it? See, he's starting to create this doubt in her mind, just like he does with us. And once doubt enters in, doubt leads to distrust. And once distrust and doubt take over, we are far less likely to listen to the things of God or any other situation. And I remember for me, before I was really walking with God, I remember the Bible to me was just a book that, you know, I had a little respect for, but didn't mean much to me. Man, but when I started walking with God and seeing how he's been moving in my life, all of a sudden the things he said, the things he wrote down in this book, I was much more inclined to listen to. I really wanted to be a part of. But if the enemy could start to cause doubt in our minds, that doubt leads to distrust and guess what? In distrust, we are ready to fall. Leads to the third strategy, or the second strategy. After he creates doubt, now he's going to distort the truth. Now he's going to distort the truth. Watch this. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Is that what God said? No, God said you can eat any tree you want. Just stay away from that one in the middle. 
But Satan wants to mess us up. He wants to distort the truth. He wants to twist it and get us thinking about all the things we can't have. Imagine how Eve felt. Satan's convincing her that you're missing out on something. That God is keeping you from all these incredible things. Don't you want these things? You deserve these things. You're important. You ever had these thoughts before? I know I have. I deserve that. They don't deserve I deserve that. I need this. Oh, it'll be better if I can get this. And what I learned, and I hope you've learned this too, but maybe you'll hear this today. I learned that the things that God had kind of steered me away from, particularly through his word, it wasn't to limit me. It was to protect me. And when I started to come to that realization, things began to change. I think about just a couple of random things in scripture. There's, there's a part of scripture that tells us, don't covet your neighbor, which is just a biblical word for don't envy, don't be jealous. Don't look across the table at what someone else has and wish that you had it. Why? Because if you do that, you're going to lead yourself to focus only on what you don't have and you'll be less grateful for what you do have. And all of us here could probably say, regardless of how bad our life is, man, God's been good. We are very blessed. And if you don't say that, and I'd encourage you, take some time to think about not all the things you don't have are the things that are wrong, but the things that we do have. But this is what the enemy wants to do. He wants to distort that truth. He wants to get you thinking away from what matters. And look at verse 2. He keeps going. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. First problem. This is big. This is the first time. At this point, Satan's only been talking. Now Eve interacts. Now Eve interacts. You and I cannot stop temptation from coming to us. There's always going to be some lure. You think about fishing. There's always going to be something out there that draws you in. And it'll be different for a lot of us. You're not going to stop temptation. But we are responsible for what follows. What should Eve have done? The same thing I'm going to do if a snake enters into my home. I'm cutting his head off. Now, maybe she didn't cut his head off. It's the garden. It's a little extreme. But what she could have done, kicked that snake out or ran the other way. We are responsible for what happens, and Eve was too. And then look at this. Look at what she says. For you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Now, this is small, but I think it's important. Notice she doesn't say that specific tree of knowledge of good and evil, and if we eat it, this is going to happen. No, it's almost like she forgot the name, or maybe, maybe Adam just forgot to tell her the name. Maybe he forgot to explain the whole thing to her. And so she sees this tree out here, and, and it's almost like she's removed the name, and by removing the name, she might have probably most likely forgotten why she couldn't touch that thing, why she couldn't eat that thing. And all of a sudden, there is this problem, because when we don't understand why we are less likely to follow. And this, this God that we're talking about loves you and I so much, he wants to help us. He wants to protect us. So we talked about not coveting things across the wall, not looking across things we're jealous of. Think about this. There's a place in the Bible that says don't, have, don't commit adultery. Don't have an affair. That's, that's probably good. Why? Because God wants to keep you and I from enjoying something? No, because if you commit adultery, it means you're married and if you do that, the pain is not going to be just you. It'll be your spouse and your kids and maybe your family line to follow. We remember why we're kept from things. It gives us much more confidence to follow through. 
And the enemy here, man, he's having a field day because he's in her head. He is in her head. And you notice she did the same thing. She dropped Lord too. Uh, he got in her head. He's in. She has removed the closeness, the relationalness of God, and now she's locked in with this serpent. And then look what she does. She says, and you shall not touch it. You remember, God didn't say you can't touch it. He just said don't eat it. He just said don't eat it. But she added don't touch it. Here's the thing. It's subtle, but it's important. Satan misused God's word. He twisted them. Eve added to them. And here's the thing. In our life, we, we are going to constantly be faced with this. People mis misusing, misinterpreting God's word, adding to God's word, taking away from God's word. This is why it's so important that you and I, the very best that we can, that we read the Bible whenever we can so that we know what it says, so that when someone stands in front of us and adds something or takes away or twists it up, we will recognize that's not right. And Eve's in trouble. This leads to the third strategy. Divert with false expectations. The final step, Satan's move Eve almost to the edge of the cliff, if you will. And now he's going to say, look what you could have if you'll just do this. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Look at how straightforward he is. You will not surely die. He started real subtle, didn't he? Kind of creeping in. He's working on her. He's taking words away. He's altering things. Now he just looks her straight in the face. You're not going to die. That's a lie. God's telling you a lie. It's not true. It's wrong. Here's the thing. A fall like this, the major falls that we go through in life, most of them don't just happen. A foundation has been laid that leads us into that mess. This is exactly what Satan did. He is working on Eve, laying a foundation, and now he's got her right on the cliff. Now he's not holding anything back. It's a lie. God's lying to you. You will not die. In fact, you won't die. Your eyes are going to be opened, and you're going to be like God. You're going to see things you've never seen before. Don't you want that? Don't you want to know like God knows? Now, remember, that's what Satan wanted, right? That's why he got thrown out of heaven. He's just thinking, oh, she probably wants the same thing I do. Let me bring her along. He says, you can be like God. I think this is really important. You and I, we were designed to imitate God, not to be him. We were designed to imitate God, not to be him. We were designed to imitate his character, to imitate his love, to imitate the way he sees the world and interacts with the world, but we were not designed to be him. And when we try to be God in our life, when we try to play God in our life, what happens? And we find ourselves in a mess because we weren't created for that. We were created to follow him and let him lead us and guide us and mold us and shape us. But when we try to take, and maybe some of you right now are going, whoa, this, this could be my problem. I've been trying to do this all by myself. I'm trying to lead my family, but I don't know if I have the tools to do it. Man, there's a good chance you don't, but God does. He can give it to you. I remember as I came to this realization, I got to stop trying to control everything. There's a guy that wants to lead me. This is incredible. We weren't made to be God, but we were made to imitate him. Here's the last piece, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, 
She took of its fruit and ate it. Now, the first two are good. Those are true. It was good for food. Garden of Eden, everything was great. It was good to eat. It was a delight to the eyes. Everything was beautiful. Everything was perfect. But here's where he diverted her to the false expectation that if you do this, it'll make you wise. It'll make you wise like God. And that was a blatant lie. She would become wise, but all she would see is the pain and misery that was sitting in front of her because of what she'd done. Next verse. Oh, no. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Oh, man, bro, Adam, I thought I had so much hope for you. I thought you were off in the garden just, you know, picking berries or doing something that was of use. And this tells us you were there the whole time? You were just watching? Now it's possible he came in toward the end. Maybe, maybe Satan was just working on Eve and then Adam came at the end. But either way, this is a problem. Why? Listen, because man's first sin wasn't active. It was passive. Adam sat back and watched his family go to hell. And I don't know about you, man, but for me, that just makes me want to go, God, please, God, please don't let me be that guy. I know I'm not going to be perfect, but God, please help me see things in my marriage that, that I, can, I can help with. Help me see with my kids, with the people around me, my coworkers, my friends, whatever it may be. God, help me see things because I don't want to sit back and watch it all fall apart when maybe I could have been a part. And here is Adam. Whether he came in later or he's standing next to her the whole time, Eve was worked on. Eve was manipulated. But Adam just saw it, took it, and ate it. I don't want that to be my story. I hope you don't either. So, last piece. This is hard. Verse 7. Let's go to the next slide. Then the eyes of both were opened. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. First, it says both. Very rarely do the mistakes we make only affect us. They often affect the people around us. Their eyes were opened. Their eyes were opened. They got to see. They saw what they were looking for, but it wasn't what they wanted. Because now all they see is the pain and the misery that comes from their mistake. Then it says that they knew that they were naked. What happened? They now start feeling something they have not felt before. Shame and guilt. This is what the feeling naked was. They now feel shame and guilt. This will now dictate the way they see the world. And it's the same for you and I. Everything is different from this point on. And then notice... What they do, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now catch this. What did, could they have done? Adam and Eve could have said, whoa, we totally screwed this up. Let's go to the safe place. God, we are so sorry. We, we did this. You know, there was this serpent. He was, man, he was really deceptive. I'm not quite, but we, we messed up. We ate the fruit. You said, don't eat. We're sorry. Help us. Forgive us. What do we do? But instead, instead of going to God, they tried to cover it up themselves. And here's the thing. When you and I do this, we are going to be in chains. 
The guilt and the shame will lock you down. And my friends, this is not what God desired. This is why Jesus went on the cross, so that you and I could be free from sin, not held bondage to it. This is available for you and I because we know temptation is a problem for all of us. And we're going to stumble. But you don't have to be weighed down by that burden because Jesus wants to make you free. So what do we do? We run to God first. We reconcile with God. God, I, I screwed this up. Could have been big, could have been small, whatever it was. God, I screwed this up. I see it. I recognize it. I do not want to do this again. Can you help me veer away from this? And then Scripture tells us, man, we confess our sins one to another. There may be some people you need to talk to. There may be a spouse you need to have a tough conversation with. There may be a friend or a coworker or a boss that you need to get some stuff out. But this is what it looks like to be freed. And that's God's desire for you and I, that we would not be held down by shame and guilt, that we would be free. And I don't know if you're like me, but you start thinking, why is he doing this? Why is Satan so just evil? And I'll tell you why. Because you and I look like the one who shamed him. You remember in the story, the beginning in creation, God said we make man in our image. Every time Satan sees you and I, he sees the one that shamed him, kicked him out of heaven, and kept him from the thing that he wanted. Satan's destiny has already been determined. Revelation tells us that. He is going to a pit of fire. He's on death row. It's just a matter of time. But while he's going down, he's going to try to take as many of us down with him as he can. And that's what he wants. If he can hold you to shame and guilt and this bondage of your mistakes, you are now less useful to God and the people around you. But if you'll allow Jesus to come and free you, he doesn't stand a chance. And God can use us to do incredible things in our life and in our family and all the people around us. This is what God desires. But we got to know the strategies of our enemy. He wants to create doubt. He wants to distort truth. And he wants to divert us off the path that God has in mind for us lead us into false expectations. And here's the thing, some of us are going, man, what do we do now? This guy's good. We're up a hill, man, I don't know. Here's the great news. God has given us strength and power to not only be able to stay alert, but to stand firm against temptation. And that's what we're gonna talk about over the next few weeks. Let me pray for us. Father, I'm so grateful to have a moment to be able to share Lord, really just your word. And I hope, I hope that wherever we are in this room, whatever kind of season we're in in our life, we were able to see something that, that really tugs on us. Father, I know in this place, we're all, one safe thing, we're all fighting temptation in some way, shape, or form. And God, I pray you'd give us great discernment to be able to, to look out and see how the enemy works and what he's trying to do. And help us, Lord, to stand alert, to stand watch, to see it coming, and to fight against it. God, I pray for those here that, man, they are in a tough place. They fall into temptation or they fall into something, and those chains are on them. God, would you just remind them today that you, through Jesus, are the way to make them free. 
God, maybe there's some here. They need to lay their life down and invite you to come into their hearts and make them a new creation. They may not understand all the things and what it means and how it works, but God, if they could just get you with them, we could start that process of freeing us from the chains that hold us. God, I thank you that your word is still speaking to us today, leading us and navigating us. And I pray you've done a work in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.